One of my dear friends is going to preach today. One of the best preachers I know. Would you welcome Brian? I was joking with Wayne last night. He said something to that effect about one of the best preachers I know. He said, it's like, man, it's like introducing someone who's like, man, this is the funniest guy I know. Watch him go. Be funny, funny guy. It's like, like a terrible setup at the same time, but I thank you for that. Well, a few years ago, uh, my good friend, Pastor Wayne, and uh, several other pastors and staff members had the opportunity to go to um, uh, a conference where, an overnight conference, we were all held up in a hotel, and um, at the hotel bathroom is something that uh, anyone who's been in a hotel has seen. There are four, or were four little bottles lined up, and they said something that you all know, shampoo, conditioner, lotion, and mouthwash. And um, the truth is, if you're not careful to read those little labels, you could end up washing your hair with hand lotion in a pretty quick minute. And so recognizing this possibility, I decided to have a little fun. And I decided to have a little uh, fun at the expense of who you all now know as Pastor John, but at the time, um, he, was our, he was an intern, so he's the artist formerly known as newly hired intern John. And uh, in those previous days, as the newly hired intern, part of a job description of any intern around here is, and I quote, joyfully being the recipient of any and all practical jokes. So that was part of John's job description. So John and I were roommates on this particular trip, and I headed down uh, out of the room into the uh, hotel lobby for the Continental Breakfast about 10 minutes ahead of John that morning. And um, sorry, John, I just saw you right there now. John gave me permission to tell the story, so it's good. And so anyway, I, I head down early from John, and we're having breakfast, uh, some of the staff members, uh, at one of those little hotel lobby tables. And uh, we're also pretty quiet, still trying to wake up. And so I break the silence with just a little laugh to myself. <laughs> and I think Wayne actually said, Talty, what are you laughing at? <laughs> oh, nothing, 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 nothing. Uh, a few more seconds of silence, another little you know, chuckle to myself. It's like, okay, now everyone's, what are you giggling about over there? What's, what's so funny? What's so funny? I said, well, uh, to which I responded with this little fairy tale. Um, well, you know those four little bottles that they have in the hotel bathrooms, you know, shampoo, conditioner, lotion, and mouthwash? Well, John this morning in his half-awake, half-asleep state accidentally washed his hair with the mouthwash. Bah, ha, ha, ha. We all get our little laugh in. And then, so that's kind of the end of it. No big deal. Well, about 10 minutes later, John joins us for breakfast. Or for breakfast. Good morning, everybody, in John style. And uh, so with no prompting, <laughs> is that a pretty good John impression? <laughs> morning, everybody. <laughs> I've been practicing for weeks in the mirror. And so with no prompting whatsoever on my part, one by one, staff members start kind of strolling over to John and, <laughs> and they kind of giggle, sniffing his head, walking away, and little snide remarks like, uh, minty fresh, John, you know, and things like that. To which, in fairness to John, he's totally and utterly confused uh, because he has no idea what's going on because, again, this is a story I completely made up. And so he's confused as to why people are um, suddenly interested in his hair and the scent of it. And um, our staff is also confused because John's not really laughing or kind of playing along. And so really it was just uh, kind of a big joke that I was the only one in on. And eventually someone asked him point blank and my little tail was exposed. 
Now, what this reveals is the truth and the reality that nobody likes being left out of something that seems like everybody else is on the inside of, whether it's sniffing someone's head or uh, some other practical joke, or frankly, just things that happen in real life. Um, Maybe uh, for you, it's uh, uh, maybe a boss at work asks you and asks you to, you know, wants to follow up on a particular project or client, and you know as soon as he starts talking about this thing and he's going on, you have no idea what he's talking about. You are on the outs of something he's on the in on that you should be on the in on. Or maybe uh, for those students in the room, um, and those of you who aren't students, you remember what it was like to be in junior high, to get called on in class, uh, to be asked a question that's almost rhetorical that you know everyone in the class knows the answer to, but you know you don't know the answer, and that is the worst feeling, being on the outs of something that everybody else already, you know, is on the in on. And then even this time of year, as Christmas uh, family gatherings start to happen, we start sharing and letting the stories fly about this and that that happened in the life of the family. And you catch wind of a story that everybody knows about except you, apparently, on that given day. And so everybody um, doesn't like being the one buddy, that doesn't make any sense, that is left out uh, when everyone else seems to be on, on the inside. And so the reason I share that is because I think that sometimes the feeling we have at church around Christmas time when it comes to celebrating the birth of Jesus. Here's what I mean. That, you know, when it comes to kind of the commercial Christmas stuff, like, you know, once Thanksgiving hits, we're off to the races with the shopping and the Santa and the presents and all that. We all kind of get how that works. That's kind of a no-brainer. But when it comes to celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, the supposed true meaning of what Christmas is supposed to be all about, sometimes I think it's like we feel like we've missed out on something. And we're really not sure exactly what it is we're supposed to be celebrating. And that, like, for example, we come into church this morning, and the worship leaders are on stage, and they're excited about Jesus' birth, and all, you know, the pastors are talking about it, and everybody around me seems to be really pumped up about the birth of Jesus, about this event that happened 2,000 years ago. But... Um, if you're honest with yourself, that in the midst of all our clapping, yay, Jesus is born, if someone were to literally turn to you in the midst of the service and kind of lean over and whisper to you, why why are you clapping? What is it that you're actually, what, what is everyone so excited about? I bet that at your best, and this is including me as well, that at best, I would probably come up, you would probably come up with some sort of otherwise known as Sunday school answer, maybe a churchy answer to kind of scramble, well, we're excited because Jesus was born and that means this, this, and the other, Uh, which is fine. You could come up with the answer. But in reality, if you think about and reflect on your own natural emotions right now, right in this time of year, your own natural affections, what you're naturally thinking about, and, and you probably aren't actually sitting around getting that excited about Jesus being born. We're not functionally, naturally inclined to be excited about it beyond maybe the social norms of a clap in a room. And the reason I think that is, is because we're not necessarily tuned into fully what Christmas and what Jesus' birth and what, or why we should actually be excited about his birth. You know, maybe for you, um, maybe you've never been explicitly told what's so great about the birth of Jesus. Maybe um, for a whole lifetime, it's just kind of been assumed around you. Like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is born. We're excited about that. But never clearly heard what it is we're actually excited about. Or maybe you've heard the uh, Christmas story a zillion times, but you're still just a little fuzzy on uh, why it is about this particular part of Jesus' story that we're supposed to be so excited about. 
So this morning, rather than wonder why a bunch of people are running around illustratively sniffing your head or um, wondering what really everybody else is so excited about, why you're on the outs and everybody else is on the in and, you know, yay, baby Jesus is born. I don't know really why I'm clapping about that, but everyone else is clapping, so I'm going to clap too. Rather than be left there, today we want to make explicit what might otherwise seem implicit or assumed in not only knowing what's so great about Jesus' birth here this Christmas season, but even more importantly, how you can actually experience that greatness in your own life. And so today, to do that, we're going to look um, at an account in Scripture, not actually the account of Jesus' birth itself, but we're going to look at a prophecy that was foretold about Jesus' coming, a prophecy that was spoken by God through the prophet Isaiah, um, actually about 700 years prior to his actual birth. And when it comes to prophecies about Jesus and his birth, uh, there are hundreds in Scripture, uh, and there are several about Jesus' birth itself that we could look at. Uh, The reality that Jesus would be born of a virgin, Mary. Uh, The reality that Jesus would come from the heritage, the line of of David in the Old Testament. Uh, The fact that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. All these um, circumstantial prophecies about Jesus' birth. But here this morning, we want to examine not just the circumstances that surrounded Jesus' uh, actual birth, but we could say even more relevant to us today, we want to examine the words that reveal who Jesus was, and more accurately, who Jesus is and still is today, and then we could say most relevant of all, who he wants to be in your life, should you choose to open your eyes, your heart, your mind, open your life to him. And so with that, our primary passage here this morning is going to be Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And again, this is where we're going to see God speaking through the prophet Isaiah several hundred years prior to Jesus' actual birth. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so in this passage, we see um, something we, we probably all know, that for unto us a child is born, and in a miraculous way, as we see in Isaiah 7, that it was going to be born of a virgin, as we said. But God, through the prophet Isaiah, goes on to say that this, um, this, on this baby, the government will be on his shoulders, Now, what's that government all about? Government here is speaking to the kingdom that Jesus will establish for those who have accepted his way uh, and his ways of life, otherwise known as us, the church. But then we go on to see that this child born onto us, the one who would set up this government, this kingdom, this church, this group of people who follow him, this is what he will be called because this is who he is, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince, of peace. And it's in these four descriptions that we discover what is actually so great about, baby, about this baby's birth, what's actually worth celebrating, what's actually worth being excited about, what's actually worth clapping over. Uh, and so we're going to examine each of these as we discover that this morning. The first one we're going to look at is that Jesus is called Mighty God. Mighty God. And in order to understand um, what, it's, what this means, how Jesus is mighty God, we first have to understand who Jesus is not. 
in that Jesus is not or was not just a prophet. Jesus was not merely someone who lived a good life, not merely some good moral teacher. He's not just your life coach. He's not merely a good person who happened to serve some people in need. No, Jesus is much more than that. In fact, Jesus is the most of all because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. We see this elsewhere in scripture. John 1, we read that the word, meaning God, became flesh, talking about Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. Okay, this is important because it's important to know that Jesus didn't just start in Mary's womb, that Jesus is the everlasting, no beginning, no end God who stepped out of his rightful place in heaven and into flesh, into uh, the baby boy that we celebrate at Christmas. That's where we get the term incarnation. Uh, incarnate, Jesus came incarnate, meaning he came carne, meaning meat or flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. That's why we sing uh, for the carol, hark the herald angel sing. We sing the line, veiled, Jesus was veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, hail the incarnate God, because Jesus Christ is God. Colossians 1 says that the Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Meaning under all previous circumstances, God was invisible to us, but now in Jesus, in the incarnation, Jesus Christ is seen as God because Jesus Christ is God. And one more, Colossians goes on to say that God was pleased to have all the fullness of him dwell, excuse me, all his fullness dwell in him. Now that word fullness here in the original Greek in which the New Testament was originally written is actually the word pleroma. And uh, why do I tell you this? Well, A, just to show off the fact that I did my homework, and B, to reveal that uh, what my homework reveals, that this word pleroma, fullness here, it literally means the sum total. Meaning that the sum total of all who God is, all of his being, all of his attributes, all of God's Godness rests in all of who Jesus is because Jesus Christ is God. The fact that Jesus Christ is God is the reason, in fact, that they crucified him 33 years after this birth that we celebrate. In John chapter 14, Jesus says of himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in John chapter 10, there's a scenario where uh, some of his opponents are trying to kill him, and he says, why are you trying to kill me? And they say, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus is God. The truth that Jesus is God is the bedrock of all that we believe as Christians. It is the cornerstone of, frankly, any other attributes we might get to talking about here this morning. It is what is so great about Jesus' birth. We start there. And while that might seem like kind of a basic one that we could just check off and move on, I want to be sure that we not miss that it's um, not merely basic, but it's foundational. You might think, well, does it really matter a whole lot if I believe that Jesus is actually God? Um, it matters a lot. Because the truth is, if you don't believe in this foundational truth, if you just kind of gloss over it haphazardly, skipping the fact that, well, Jesus, I don't know that he actually was God. You know, I think he's a good moral teacher. He's a great role model for my kids. Therefore, I'm in church. But the whole idea of him being God, well, know this. According to biblical Orthodox Christianity, if you do not believe that Jesus is God, you are not a Christian. You are not a Christian. You're not a true follower of God's son, Jesus Christ, and therefore that is a really big deal. It matters a lot. Jesus Christ is God. Do you believe 
Do you believe that Jesus is truly God as according to the scriptures? Well, then if so, if Jesus really is God, what then does that have to do with us? What is it, what's so great about the, the reality that this baby actually is God? What does that have to do with me? What does it have to do with us? Well, it goes on because the mighty God, the fact that Jesus is God, is also called Everlasting Father. Jesus is called Everlasting Father. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the idea of God being expressed in the Trinity, um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, might get tripped up here and say, wait a second, if God the Father is the Father and Jesus is the Son, how is Jesus also the Father? Well, this is not speaking to um, Jesus' relationship to the Trinity, but instead speaking to Jesus' attribute, Jesus' relationship to us as his people. That um, Jesus is not just a God who is far off somewhere, who just kind of spun creation and the cosmos and the planets into, into the works and just said basically to humanity, hey, there it is, good luck with that. No, Jesus is Emmanuel. Another word that we say around Christmas that we just sang a little bit ago um, that really means, again, something we can get excited about, something we would clap for, that God is not far off, but that God is Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us, Jesus is with us, and loves us as a perfect, loving Father. Now, we might recognize it, um, again, a little bit more kind of parsing this out. Yeah, Jesus was with us 2,000 years ago for 33 years on the earth, right? You know, he did die, he was buried, he rose again, but then he ascended back into heaven. So how is Jesus still with us if he's ascended back into heaven? Well, Jesus' original disciples actually asked that same question. Hey, if you're going, you're going to leave us behind. And Jesus assures them in several scriptures, but one we'll look at right here. Jesus says, I will give you another advocate to help you who will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And he, the spirit of truth, God's Holy Spirit, he will guide you. Because Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is with us and Jesus is still with us as his church through his Holy Spirit among us. You see, Jesus is with us right now. His Holy Spirit is with us as we gather in worship. But Jesus is also with us as we uh, leave from this place in our maybe smaller counterparts, in our grow together home small groups. Jesus is with us where we gather in his name, where we go and we serve together in his name. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with his church. And frankly, in this particular congregation where it's 179 years old, we predate the Civil War that in 179 years where I'm sure every single thing about this place has changed, the one thing that has never changed, that will never change, and that will remain is that Jesus is with us, his church. And we who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are a part of his church. And thus we too receive as individuals as part of the whole, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is God at work inside of us. God as an everlasting father who is guiding you, caring for you, all because the Holy Spirit, all because God with us, God is with you. And so through the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is still Emmanuel. Jesus is still with you, not just in this room, but when you go home. Jesus is with you when you go to work. Jesus is with you this week at the appointment. Jesus is with you this week in surgery. Jesus is with you when maybe the one human person who you thought would never abandon you has in fact abandoned you. Know that Jesus has not abandoned you. Jesus is with you. That when you are hurting physically, Jesus is with you. When you are hurting emotionally, Jesus is with you. When you feel all alone, know that you are not alone. Jesus is with you. Emmanuel, 
God still with us through the power of his Holy Spirit if, if you have opened up your life to him as your Lord and your Savior. Now, the Savior and Lord, these are the two attributes we see expressed in the final two uh, expressed in Isaiah as we see that on the cornerstone of mighty God, that God is God, and not just a God far off, but a God who cares for us as an everlasting Father, we see that he is also the Prince of Peace, which means he is our Savior, and he is also the wonderful counselor, your wonderful counselor, your Lord. And so looking at those last two, accepting Jesus as your Prince of Peace means accepting Jesus as your Savior. Now, Savior, that's another fancy church word uh, that we hear a whole lot about, but it's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Savior of what? What exactly is Jesus, quote, saving us from? Well, as we look at Jesus as Savior, as we look at him as the Prince of Peace, peace here is not just speaking to some kind of cheap inner tranquility that kind of makes us feel better in the midst of stress. Um, I mean, now that's a nice, you know, effect of maybe some peace that God gives us, but it's not the main deal. The main deal, the main piece that this is talking about is far greater than that, in that when we receive the peace of Christ, we are then at peace with God, which means we are no longer um, at war with God. If we are at peace with God, it means we're no longer at war with him, which are, whoa, I might not necessarily yet buy into Jesus being God, but I wouldn't say I'm at war with God. I wouldn't say I'm some type of enemy of God. Well, Bad news. Um, According to the scriptures, because of our sin that separates us from a sinless, perfect God, it says in Colossians 1 that we are alienated from God. We are enemies of God because we are at odds with him. We are at odds because of our sinful ways. Uh, Second, furthermore, the implications, more bad news, of that separation from God uh, is Romans 6.19. The implications of our separation is a separation for eternity which is described as death, Romans 6, 19. We are separated from a death, eternal death, in hell, away from God. And then third piece of bad news, we are powerless to do a thing about it. Ain't that great at Christmas? But, but, good news, good news. As Pastor Wayne shared at the beginning of the series, all good gifts, he reminded us of the greatest gifts in a verse that we often take for granted, John three sixteen, that there is a remedy There is a cure for our sin separation from God, and that is this, John 3, 16, that God, in the midst of our separation, in the midst of our sin, so loved the world, he so loved us, that he gave us his one and only son. He gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, that ever believes that he is the son of God, believes he lived a perfect, sinless life, and thus, in his sacrificial death, saves us from our deserved penalty of death. That's what we mean by savior. What is he saving us from? He's saving us from our sin. He's saving us from our deserved penalty of that sin, that eternal death. He saves us from that. He saves us from being separated from God. We are no longer enemies of God. And in saving us from that, he saves us to a relationship with God, both now on this earth and that lasts for all of eternity through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. We are at peace with God and we have a new life. That's what we celebrate on the other big holiday, as Christians. You know, we know Christmas and Easter, Christers, that on Easter we celebrate the other big deal, that Jesus didn't just die, but he rose again. And when he rose to a new life, that's how he imparts onto us, beyond just a forgiveness of sin, a new life for us. He gives us a new life that he leads as the Lord of our life right here on this earth that continues on, not when we die, because we don't technically die as Christians. We really cross over into an eternal life that is the full expression and realization of all that eternal life that Jesus has given to us. And so, 
The question is, who gets in on this eternal life? Well, John 3.16 continues, whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not perish into eternal death, but rather into eternal life. The reality is, there is a heaven. There is a hell. We are sinners, but good news. There really is a Savior. There is a Savior. And even as you hear this this morning, it might seem like kind of like a bit much, like, whoa, is this preacher trying to convert me? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I want you to experience this new life in Jesus Christ that I didn't grow up into but came to realize later in life as uh, myself. In fact, I mean, that's why they invited you. That's why they brought you here. It wasn't just for the uh, frozen mango explosion smoothie in the cafe or whatever that thing is called. I mean, those are good, don't get me wrong, but not as good as this. Not as good as this. Know that all people, all people are not saved. And just like all roads that you drive on all Christmas long to get to wherever it is you're going don't all naturally lead to the same destination in the same way, all philosophical and religious paths do not lead to the same salvation. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so this Christmas, we don't just clap along because the social norms of the room dictate we do, that if two or three clap, then we all better start clapping. I mean, that is why we actually clap, um, honestly. But we clap, and as we think about it, for more than that, we clap and we celebrate and we actually can get excited about the reality of Christmas, the reality of the birth of Jesus, as it says in Matthew 121, that she, Mary, will give birth to a son. And he is to be given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. It means Savior. And so very plainly today, are you saved? Are you saved from your sin? Are you saved from the penalty of your sin? And that this whole season, that regardless of where you stand on anything, we all accept it as a season of giving and receiving. In this season of giving and receiving, have you given your sin over to Jesus and received the gift of forgiveness, the gift of a new life in him? If not, then know this. As it says in 2 Corinthians 6, today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day of your salvation. And then lastly, as the Prince of Peace, as we receive him as Savior, in declaring that he is in fact mighty God, that Jesus does actually care for us as, a, as an everlasting father, then naturally you will follow him as your wonderful counselor. You will naturally then follow him as your Lord. Now, counselor here speaks to um, the one who is guiding you, teaching you, instructing you, and counseling you in the way and the ways that you should live. That when you receive Jesus as Savior, as mighty God, as everlasting Father, then naturally you would then make this God the Lord and the leader of your life. You would follow him as such. Now, to illustrate how I think we often miss this, let me ask you a question in the room by a show of hands. How many of you in the room are on Twitter? Twitter, okay, all right. A few proud hands, a few kind of reluctant but willing hands. Um, how about, uh, how many of you are not on Twitter and think that everybody who is, is a twit? Okay. okay. <laughs> all right, I saw a lot of hands that didn't go up. Because you still have no idea what it is. 
So basically, Twitter is um, it's a social network that uh, its users communicate using these things called tweets, which are short messages that are 140 characters or less. And currently, it says worldwide, there are over 500 million users. And so the way you get to see these tweets from other people is that you can choose to follow that person. Uh, and that way you can get updates on what they're thinking about certain things, what they have to say about another, what they had for breakfast, and other meaningless information that they send out all around the world and all of it in real time. And so I became one of these 500 million twits uh, a few years back and uh, started following some people who I thought were interesting. And, um, you know, I was going to do actually kind of pull up my Twitter feed live, uh, but frankly, I was just too afraid of what would pop up in church. So, uh, so I did this live on Thursday and took some screenshots for you here this morning. So uh, here is a, a shot of my homepage here. You can see up in the corner, there's my profile. I actually, I got off of this a couple years ago and stopped really messing with it, but I had maxed out at 139 tweets of what I'd had for breakfast and decided no one else cared. Uh, I did manage, however, to gain 148 followers in that meantime, and I follow 161 people who I might find interesting every once in a while. And so one of the people I follow are, are actually uh, up in the booth there, our technical director, Fred Sourman of our church. And um, what, just as a warning, I know Wayne said this is a family-friendly service, so um, I will be honest that the image you're about to see might not be suitable for women and young children, but here it goes. A little close. Yikes, Fred. But I follow Fred because Fred mentions our, uh, our church's Twitter feed there at the at First Decatur, so we can click on that and see what's going on the first Christian Church Twitter account, and you can see there's a tweet there from last week's sermon uh, from Pastor Wayne, God's love for us is so great that we can be called children of God. Yes, very true, Pastor Wayne. Scroll down, you can see also that the staff, in case you're wondering, had a great time at the annual Christmas party celebrating music from the decades, oh, the joy of the 70s. And there also is a link to a picture, so we're going to check that out there. Oh my, that's good. And a little bit close up of the guy on the left. Now, I know that that is a still picture that might not do much for you, but for me, it triggers something different because I was there live <laughs> watching our senior pastor dance to Saturday Night Fever in that mustache. And I gotta be honest, not gonna lie, every time I relive that experience, it gives me one of those like full body shivers, you know, like, ugh, <laughs> that keep you up at night. And so you can click and follow people you know. You can also click on and follow people who you don't personally know, but you're interested in hearing from, uh, like celebrities and, you know, sports stars and stuff like that. And so uh, one who's kind of interesting, kind of funny every once in a while is uh, Bill Murray, who you might know. Um, he uh, has a couple of these. Uh, who says I can't cook? You've obviously never tasted my cereal. That was pretty good. Um, we're all mature until someone pulls out the bubble wrap. Such a true statement there. Uh, seeing a spider isn't a problem. It becomes a problem when it disappears. <laughs> and uh, one more. Twitter is the one place where you go to say all the random thoughts in your head to see if everybody else is as weird as you. All right. Okay. Here's my point. My fear is this, that we have taken what Jesus originally intended and still intends when he said to come follow me that we have taken what is the mission of his church to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, followers of him, that we've taken that word follow and we have reduced it 
that instead of following Jesus as Lord, that we, in our lives, all too often follow Jesus like we'd follow someone on Twitter. Meaning this, that when it comes to someone like Bill Murray, I may choose to read something he has to say. I may choose not to. And if I decide I don't want to follow anything anymore because I think his proverbial wisdom about spiders really isn't that interesting, I can just click unfollow and that can be the end of it. And so when we follow Jesus this way, when we say, well, you know what, I'm going to choose to follow some things as I've heard the, the word preached in church and read the Bible. You know, there's some things that I kind of resonate with, but there's some things I don't know, I'm just not that interested in, uh, that if we just uh, sort of treat Jesus like a Twitter account that we can kind of click on and follow when we want to and not when it suits us and know this, you are not truly following him. You are following an expression of things that you like, that you put on Jesus, rather than truly following the one true God, mighty God, Jesus Christ. Because making Jesus your Lord, making him your wonderful counselor, means you don't just pick and choose what you want and what you don't want. It means that you are striving to be all in, comfort and discomfort alike, for what Jesus Christ has for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's really not that hard of a leap to get there. If, again, you do believe that if this Jesus truly is God, truly is mighty God, that isn't just God some far off place, but truly loves you as an everlasting father, so much so that he actually made a way for you, went to the cross so that you could be at peace with God through the Prince of Peace, that if he would do all this, then doesn't it make sense that the same Jesus would then guide you in the best way of life possible, that you can trust him, that he is trustworthy to lead you in the best possible life. As a follower of Jesus, are you truly striving to follow truly him, or is it just like a few tweets here and there? Are you all in for all facets of your life with Jesus? Do you follow all that Jesus has for you as a wonderful counselor, as the Lord of your entire life? That is the question. And so throughout this series, um, as we looked at today and several other weeks, we've been trying to make room for, prepare the way, actually get excited genuinely about the coming of Jesus. And the way we've been doing this illustratively here each week is um, you'll notice there's a piece of paper, like a piece of, it looks like a piece of straw in your bulletin that we've uh, reflected on what the Word of God has brought to us. And then out of that uh, reflection, we've been placing that straw in a manger in the lobby, again, to represent building up the bed, preparing the way for Jesus uh, in our lives personally. And so um, today, you'll notice on your slip of straw that goes out in the lobby that uh, those four attributes out of Isaiah 9-6 are there. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And so we're going to ask you to circle the one that you feel, uh, based on today, you need to most prayerfully strive for in order to prepare the way, prepare your heart to actually receive Jesus. Uh, maybe for you, again, it's, um, it's a cognitive struggle. That is, you try to make the leap from Jesus being mighty God to truly being God. Why? Again, there's certainly room for doubt and questions in the world of faith. You know that the biggest step you need to make is not necessarily an intellectual one, but get past your intellect only and make a step of faith into believing that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. And maybe that will require more study of the Scriptures for you. Or maybe uh, you question the very character and nature of who God actually is. That when you think of God, you think of someone who's out to zap you for every little misstep that you might have in your life. And you've had a hard time buying into the reality that God actually is for you, that he wants your best, that he loves you, that he forgives you. 
Maybe that breakdown in God being an everlasting father is uh, a breakdown in the relationship that you have with your own earthly father. And because uh, of that relationship and the brokenness there, you've had a hard time grasping um, that God could love you as a loving father. And so may you, you, need might not be the word, but you want to prayerfully step out and invite God to be the perfect father that maybe you didn't have here on earth. Or perhaps you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never given him your sin and received the gift of forgiveness and the gift of a new life. Well, as we said earlier, 2 Corinthians 6, today, today can be the day of your salvation. You can leave here today saved from your sin, saved from the penalty of your sin. And so we would say, if you circle that one this morning, um, before you go place your straw in the manger uh, walking out of the back of the room, we'd actually invite you to come to the front of the room and talk with uh, one of the pastors here about what this decision means and next steps for you in your life and the great news that you have accepted in your world and in your life. And then lastly, maybe you accepted Jesus once. Maybe you prayed a prayer, even came forward at a service. But if you're honest, for you, it was just kind of like a holy fire insurance. Like when you were given the choice between hell or heaven, it was kind of a no-brainer. It's like, I'm scared of that place. Let's choose that one. Know this, that in the end, heaven is not a place just for those who are afraid of hell. Heaven is a place for those who love and follow Jesus. And so maybe you were scared out of hell by some hell, fire, and brimstone preacher some time ago. Maybe you were scared into praying a prayer, uh, maybe even scared to be good or try to be good in your own strength ever since. But know this, that no one can scare you into truly loving and following Jesus. Following Jesus is a proactive choice you make because you actually put your faith and you actually trust Jesus that he has the best way of life as the Lord of your life, as a wonderful counselor, in your life. And so maybe you need to allow God to be the wonderful counselor in a specific area of your life. You need to step out and trust and faith uh, in him rather than of yourself. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe you need to stop going at your own and uh, as you throw your arms up in the air, as you look at your marriage. Uh, maybe it's a situation with your kids. Maybe you need to step out and let uh, the Lord be the Lord of your finances. Maybe it's a situation at work that you need to, you know, maybe you're used to kind of separating work from everything else in life. You need to integrate the two. You need to invite Jesus into your work and to be the Lord of that. Maybe it's a specific sin struggle that you've been trying to beat back on your own, thinking, man, if I get this right, then I'll be cool with God. No, if you hear anything, hear again. The Prince of Peace is what covers your sin, not your own strength. So give it to the Lord and let Jesus do what Jesus does best and be the Prince of Peace in that area of your life. Do you need to let the Lord be the Lord in a specific area? here this morning, uh, in this Christmas season, as we prepare the way for Jesus, and frankly, in all of your life. And so as you discern which of those you're going to circle here this morning, uh, let me pray for us um, that, again, not in our own strength, but the guiding of the Holy Spirit would guide each of us respectively. Father, our prayer is that we would, uh, we would not end here with a circle on a piece of paper that ends up uh, in an illustration in the lobby. But Father, that that would represent um, a reality that we're inviting into our lives, the power of your Holy Spirit, that as a result of this hour together this morning, that you would impact all the hours of this week as we celebrate uh, in a real way and clap for a real reason, the coming of your son Jesus and all the implications that we just heard about here this morning from your word. Lord, that you would in a very real way, again, not by our own strength, but by Emmanuel, by you with us, 
would you lead each of us respectively to prayerfully pursue mighty God, Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor. Would you lead each of us respectively in Jesus' name? Amen.